welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and uh, it is, as I said at the beginning of the last episode, an absolutely magical time of the year to be a bowhunter because seasons are finally here. Uh, I know you Western folks are out in the field, and you've been out in the field for a while. Here in the East, deer seasons are are opening pretty much every weekend. Uh, there's more and more states coming on board, and here in my home state of Pennsylvania, season opens uh, just a few days from now. I'm actually heading across the border to uh, the neighboring state of Ohio, where I'll be in a tree this Saturday, and I am going to bet that my guest today is going to be in a tree somewhere here in Pennsylvania on Saturday because I have uh, this week as our guest uh, someone who is no stranger to those of you who read Peterson's Bowhunting and that's Mr. John Silks, our gear testing editor. John, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Christian. So what are your plans for this Saturday? You've got a few spots uh, scoped out for you and your kids? Yeah, yeah. I've got, um, you know, we have two farms here that we hunt and, you know, close to the house, well, relatively close. We have one that's just down the road about five miles um, uh, that uh, a couple of my boys will be hunting. And then me and my youngest son will be hunting another farm that's, uh, you know, about a half hour away. And, you know, we have stands that we've we've hung this year but we also have stands that we've you know we've had in place for years um and then some ground blinds so we're pretty much set up and ready to go for saturday and uh you know and today in the show we're going to dive into the topic of broadhead selection and specifically taking a look at the uh awesome head-to-head broadhead tests that you've done for us uh, over the years and of course our 28 installment focused on mechanical heads and that was published in our September issue but before we get into that I do want to ask you one more question about the deer season because that's always so much fun to talk about so you you're set up you got a couple farms sounds like you've got plenty of stands blinds some options for where you want to go I know you're a trail camera guy so um, what's your outlook for the season man you have some good bucks out there this year and uh, you know tell me about what you guys are after and uh, what you're hoping to accomplish here uh, maybe on Saturday. You, you going for a big buck or starting some, some doe control or what? <laughs> well, that, that's always a relative uh, um, assessment of a good buck, right? So what I would uh, call big here in central Pennsylvania mountains, um, somebody out west probably uh, wouldn't even give a second look. But yeah, we have, you know, we have actually for, uh, uh, especially the one farm, uh, we have what, what I would call a couple of tremendous bucks for this area, you know, 130s, 140s. And then, you know, uh, you know, we have several, you know, in the 115s, which is a great buck for around here too. So, but we do have a lot of dough in the one area that we need to, 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 take care of and we have some dmap tags which are you know special tags that farmers can get and and uh the farmer that we hunt with has 
has some of those that uh, he's been generous enough to give us. And so we plan to uh, uh, fill up our depleted freezers uh, right off the bat. Not saying we won't uh, be looking for the bucks, but in the first uh, week, we, we tend to clean out some, some uh, does and, and uh, spend uh, quite a bit of time butchering and, and filling up the freezers. Yeah, that's awesome, man. There's nothing like breaking the seal on the season with a, a nice fat dough or two or three. And like you say, when when you get that meat in the freezer, I know I always look at it like, man, the pressure's off now. You know, I mean, I've got I've got plenty of venison. I made, you know, uh, hopefully a good shot. Right. You know, you put a good shot on a deer, uh, get that sort of under your belt. And, and, and then you can sort of look ahead to the rut and focus on those bucks. So, um, you know, it's a great segue, John, to our topic for today, because, you know, of course, here with uh, deer seasons right on our doorstep, everybody is pretty well dialed in and ready to go. And when it comes to broadhead selection, I venture to uh, guess that there are a few topics that will generate more debate, uh, argument, uh, claims amongst uh, bow hunters than, than what we choose to screw onto the business end of our arrows. So, you know, I guess I'll just throw it out uh, as that is we obviously have have tried to take uh, a little bit different approach to our uh, evaluation of broadheads here with Peterson's bow hunting. And when I say we, I guess I really mean you because you are the sort of the spearhead and the mastermind behind this. And for those of you who are listening, if you don't know, John is an engineer uh, by, you know, training and profession. And really, uh, I just have to say, you know, John, that I can't think of anybody better to have, you know, as my go-to guy on gear testing and evaluation because you bring, you know, a very um, scientific and uh, precise way of looking at the whole process. And so, you know, you really go out of your way when you design these tests. And certainly the broadhead test is a prime example of taking the subjectivity uh, out of the equation and trying to make it as objective as possible and generating data that is, you know, not only accurate and reliable, but really, you know, just uh, takes a lot of the guesswork out of the the equation and gives our readers something, you know, that they can really rely on when they're trying to figure out uh, what kind of equipment they want to use in the field. So maybe you just want to start out a little bit talking about the history of the test and, and how you developed it. And, and we can kind of go from there and eventually get into some of the nitty gritty of the 2018 results. Sure. Yeah. So uh, 2012, and and you you remember this I'm sure very well. We we actually tackled both mechanical and fixed blade uh, broadheads all in one year, and yeah, that's we learned when, a lot. Yeah, we learned our lesson never to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, we um, we learned that doing both was uh, taking on a little bit too much, um, but you know we got the test done. We learned a lot. We actually had, um, along with Chad Smith, who's my um, test specialist, we had built uh, fixtures, developed tests that, you know, during the testing with high-speed uh, uh, high camera, 
uh, you know, we learned that some of the tests just weren't going to be reliable based on the way that the, you know, the medium that we were shooting into was flexing. Um, other things, you know, uh, came up along the way that we had not planned on. So we ended up, I think there were probably three or four tests that we worked through that year that didn't make the cut. And, you know, that's, you know, that's some, a uh, little bit of uh, growing pains, but it was worth it because, you know, we don't want to have tests that are, that are not, you know, reliable and don't give, you know, decent information. So this, uh, this last year was our seventh annual test. Um, like I said, in 2012, we did both. And then we started to um, cycle on and off, you know, in, in 2013, we did fixed and then followed that, you know, um, on and off mechanical and fixed throughout the years until we got to this year where we did, um, you know, the mechanicals again this year. So, and you had talked a little bit about, um, you know, the test philosophy and really number one on that test philosophy is objectivity. And we do everything we can to level the playing field and make sure that every broadhead gets a fair shake. And honestly, you know, over the years I've been, I've been testing for, I don't know, 13, 15 years, something like that. And, you know, every year uh, we get those people that think that um, if their broadhead or their bow or their trail camera doesn't do the best, that somehow I'm, you know, I'm biased or whatever, but I couldn't be any further from the truth. I, I basically, um, I, I, when we're testing, I don't even know the results really. I mean, I, I see as we go through, but as they compile, and I know that you've even asked me, you know, over the years, halfway through the the test, to be like, hey, you know, what 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 are you seeing? And and I'll tell you, you know, I I really couldn't tell you because we're just we're just doing tests, we're compiling the results, and when it all shakes out in the end, I'll let you know, um, because it's just complete objectivity, no bias. We use top notch equipment, and and really honestly. You know, I want to learn from this test too. Every year, I pick a broadhead, right? And sometimes, uh, you know, I'll flip back and forth from mechanical to fixed, and depending on what state I'm hunting in, you know, I might be required to use fixed. And you know, I actually look at the test results like everybody else does, and I'll start to analyze. Okay, you know, what's important to me? You know, how did this one do? How did that one do? And quite honestly, you know, some of the broadheads that aren't hyped as much, you know, will do great. And to me, that, that means that's the one I'm going to use, uh, regardless of anything else. I'm just looking at results. Yeah, it is interesting that way. And, you know, not this year, because uh, I know we didn't even have a, a Cabela's head in, but I can remember from like years past, I don't even remember what year, but it stands out in my mind when you just said that, that I know that there was at least once, if not a couple different times, that some of those house brand broadheads from Cabela's performed, you know, right up there with, say, other broadheads that might cost twice as much. So, yeah, you know never know what's going to come out of this stuff. And the great thing about it, like you said, is it's the data is the data. You know, we don't go into these things with an agenda and and, and it falls where it falls. Right. Yeah. And that's important to me. And I, you know, and I've, I've had that philosophy, you know, my whole career in this um, industry. And yeah, trust me, I've turned down hunts in Kansas, in Canada, 
and everywhere else, you know, people just, you know, you know, innocently saying, Hey, you know, you want to join us on a hunt or something like that. And I'm like, you know what? I'd love to, I'd really, really love to, but I can't because I don't want to show any bias towards any one manufacturer. I mean, I even had a manufacturer of, of a product that didn't even have, uh, you know, any competition in the industry for a while. And I was invited to Kansas to hunt with that person. And I told him, I said, listen, you know, at some, at some point you're, you're going to have competition and I can't, I can't have any of those people look at me and say, you've been on a hunt with, you know, so-and-so. So, so I don't do that. You know, I, I just don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, um, I shouldn't say I don't care who wins because that doesn't sound, you know, like I, I, I guess I shouldn't say, say it that way. It doesn't matter to me which one of the broadheads does well. I just want to make sure I give everybody a fair shake. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, and, and so and that goes into how you, you develop each one of these various tests that we do, because when we talk about the broadhead test, it's actually a collection of many tests. And, and we provide data in, you know, in, in everything from, you know, measuring, literally measuring, you know, the physical dimensions and weighing the broadhead, seeing, you know, whether they're consistent from head to head, you know, in terms of weight uh, to count. Calculating, you know, the total cutting potential, so the total amount of cutting area, that, you know, of all the blades on the head, to you know, sharpness, where we're literally sending these blades uh, over to England and having uh, the Cutlery and Allied Trades Research Association, which is the, uh, basically the the acknowledged authority for the cutlery industry, you know, do sharpness testing on these blades in uh, a special machine that they have that is you know, used to test blades across the entire, you know, cutlery industry. Um, doing things like um, the hemorrhage test where we're simulating, you know, the ability of a broadhead to cause bleeding. And then, of course, of course penetration. And, you know, one of the things that I think we need to address, John, is um, – some of the criticisms or the questions that we get about the testing. Um, yeah. One that I hear regularly and to a certain extent, I understand it is people say, uh, for example, hey. yeah, yeah, John. Yeah. Before you say that, can yeah. I guess what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What do you think it is? I think it's people saying that they don't shoot bone deer or metal deer. Oh, absolutely. So you get the same comments, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, well, for, you know, because I was going to say, for example, let's look at, you know, the penetration tests. I know we you do uh, each year with the broadheads, you do two different penetration tests. You do a foam penetration and then a combo penetration where you're doing um, the foam that has, uh, what, some sheet metal and carpet on top of it or just the carpet? I can't remember. No, it's... um. So basically, it's uh, one is just pure foam, and one is um, has rubber backed uh, carpet, which is sort of like a almost like a hide. You know, you would you would say it's similar to that. You know, hide uh, thickness and consistency, and then um, and then underneath that will be uh, a O thirty. I think it's like O thirty three thick metal, which um, you know we we equate that to sort of like going through you know, a little bit of bone, um, so that we can understand how well, uh, you know, a broadhead is going to, um, you know, penetrate both those things and, you know, still get into the, the, 
know, the cavity of the deer. So sure. that's what we do there. But really, you know, honestly, um, you know, when you bring up, uh, you know, people say, you know, things about the type of materials we use. Um, I've had people say, hey, listen, you know, we use real shoulder bone or, you know, we use this or, you know, we actually shoot into, um, a, you know, a, a dead pig or whatever. You know, I don't know. All kinds of things. And, and here's here's the problem with that. And, and you know, yes, I wish that um, uh, there was a way to tell beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, which one penetrates better in a deer or, or any animal. But the bottom line is this, is that, um, depends on, you know, you, you can't use, uh, bone because you have to have each broadhead hit the exact same thickness of bone, you know, the exact same, you know, spot on the, on the bone. And, and, uh, you know, what, when it comes to testing and actual testing that is fair level playing field, you need consistency. Like I can't shoot. Um, and, and I don't know, if, you know, if you've ever hit the, you know, the point of a, a shoulder bone versus, you know, that, that thin plate that comes off of it. Oh, absolutely. Different. I've had, yeah. I mean, I've had broadheads that go right through, you know, the back, the back end of a, a shoulder blade where the, it's kind of thinning out, you know, and it's not all that thick there. And then I've had other deer, unfortunately, where I have hit, you know, right on the knuckle of that, that shoulder blade, you know, where it, you know, connects to the, the leg and, and, and it's just getting no penetration whatsoever, you know, and, and of course that's a factor of more than just the broadhead too, you know, it's, it's your whole setup, it's your arrow weight and your, your bow speed and, and all that. So, but like you said, try to duplicate any one of those shots over and over and over again is impossible, you know, and as cool as it would be, I mean, from a, from a photography and videography standpoint, yeah, it'd be great. Let's buy a whole bunch of sides of beef and shoot through them, man. We'll hang it up in a cooler and I'll put my Rocky sweatshirt on and and I'll run in there and and and, and freaking go to town and, and 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 you know throw some fists on that beef and then you can get your shooting machine machine set up and, and we'll put broadheads through it and it'll be the coolest thing ever except for the data will be meaningless you know right yeah and that goes for you know people have also asked us to do angle testing well unless you have a high speed camera and are willing to take you know, dozens and dozens of shots for each head to make sure that the blade actually hits first, you know, into the side versus, you know, rotate it a different way or what have you. It's just, um, you know, it's just not practical. And whenever you see angled testing, unless those folks know exactly how each head hits, then they can't tell you that one's better than another. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it's, uh, it's very, very, um, you know, hard to, to replicate every possible, you know, shot and shot angle that could theoretically occur in the field. So we try to do the best job we can, um, you know, generating data and, you know, data that we know that we can stand behind, you know, a hundred percent and, and data that there's no question, you know, really there's nothing to, to argue about. It's like, this was the process, the procedure, the data that results and, 
the thing is, it's all repeatable too. Like for a lot of this or most of this data, you're not just you're not just shooting one arrow. You're averaging, you know, several shots on on a lot of this data or almost all of it, right, John? Right. Right. Yeah. Everything is most everything is is you know multiple shots that are averaged, and then um, you know the the one test that we do. Um, usually just one shot of is when we shoot through just the metal and we do the high speed video on the other side to see how things come through. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the ones where, you know, I mean, the video is right there. So, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, you know, some of the, the results from this year. And, and, And the thing is, is it's also important that you not look at any one of these tests that we do in a vacuum because I am constantly reminded whenever we do testing and I I feel like it's very important that we stress this to our readers, our listeners, the people who, you know, look at this on our website, which FYI, we just recently got the whole 28 broadhead test up online, John. So people who, if you, if shame on you, if you don't subscribe to Peterson's bow hunting, or you didn't pick up a copy of the September issue on newsstand, but we do forgive you. And if you go to bowhuntingmag.com, you can find the 2018 uh, broadhead test uh, online now. Anyway, so what I was saying is you can't look at this stuff in a vacuum. And here's where I'm going, John. Everything in archery is a trade-off. So like one of the, the first thing that I want to talk about is total cutting potential. And I'll let you explain what that is, but just as a preface to this part of our conversation, you're going to see a direct relationship between the total cutting potential of a broadhead and the amount of penetration that you get in our test medium. And it's just a simple, it's as simple as the more blade surface area you have to cut, the more resistance that's going to create in the media. So if you look at, say, the penetration results and you might say, oh, well, uh, you know, I'll just here, let me just I'm just going to look at it. Let me flip the page here. Penetration, you know, let's look at the combo. OK, well, you know, the 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 G5 dead meat penetrated more than the uh, the NAP kill zone swing fire. So it's better head. Well, you can't necessarily make that claim based solely on the result of one test. You have to take into consideration the design of the head, the amount of blade surface area that's there. And then you have to look at that. You have to look at all the other parts of our test and you kind of have to come to a conclusion that takes the entire composite results of all the data that we've generated into account before you cast judgment. You agree with that, John? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially when you're talking about mechanical heads, they don't all open as quickly as others either, you know? So you'll have some that'll open so fast that they you know, they're cutting, you know, almost the entire diameter going in where other ones might, you know, enter an inch, you know, into the test medium and then open. So, you know, it's going to, it's going to change the, you know, the penetration. And, and like you said, you know, if you, uh, if you take, 
uh, a two blade head versus let's say a six blade head, you know, I can tell you which one's going to penetrate better. I mean, it's just, it's like you said, simple physics. I mean, if you, uh, if you keep adding blades to infinity, well then you have a solid, right? And we all know that if you, you know, put a solid blunt on there, that's two inches in diameter, it's not going to penetrate at all. So anything between, you know, the two blade broadhead, um, you know, on up to, uh, something that's solid, there's going to be a range of penetration. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, and so you might actually gravitate towards some of these heads based on the application, you know, and what you're, what you're hunting, how you're hunting, maybe what your setup is. You know, let's just take a look, like total cutting potential. Uh, I'm looking here, you know, we, we've ranged, okay, and I'm just going to do a quick rundown too. These are all the heads that were in this year's test in alphabetical order, okay? Uh, if you're interested in any of these heads, you definitely want to, you know, get online and, and get the full results of the test. So we had uh, the Bloodsport, Gravedigger Chisel Tip, the G5, Dead Meat, the Kinetic Kinemax, the Muzzy HBTI, that's the hybrid titanium, the uh, NAP Killzone Swing Fire, Rage Tripan, TI, which is the titanium uh, feral, Ramcat Savage, the Rocky Mountain Warhead SS, the Sever TI 2.1, so that's uh, the Sever uh, titanium, Slick Trick Raptor Trick, uh, Schwackers uh, 2 inch. Uh, mechanical because Schwacker offers models in various uh, cutting diameters. So we tested the two inch, the True Globe Backflip, the Wacom Steel EXP and the Wasp Jackhammer. So those were the the heads in this year's test. And if I just look, I'm looking at the total cutting potential chart here. It looks like the, you know, at the very uh, at one end of the spectrum, we had the Kinetic Kinemax. It's a two-blade head, which had a total cutting potential of 1.13 inches. And I'm looking here at the high end of the spectrum. I think we've got the Bloodsport Gravedigger Chisel Tip, which is a four-blade head, uh, total cutting potential of 2.78 inches. So a pretty big variation. And then other heads that fall everywhere in between. Talk to me a little bit about how you calculate the total cutting potential, John, and then how you as a bow hunter might, you know, look at that data and and use it to, you know, make some decisions as to what you want to shoot given the circumstances of your hunt. Sure. So, you know, total cutting potential, we, we came up with that, uh, I don't know, it's been probably three, four or five years ago, I'm not sure exactly, but, uh, you know, we were, we were looking at, you know, how can we talk about just what you were saying earlier, you know, the, you know, physically, you know, some of these uh, broadheads have, you know, more cutting potential than others. And, and so we thought, okay, well, what's actually, you know, where, you know, what is actually being impacted in the deer, you know? And so it basically, um, you know, you take the number of, of blades. So if you, you know, have a two blade and you multiply that by the number of, uh, by the rates, so you're 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 impacting the deer from the very middle of the head out to the end of each one of your blades, and so we basically uh, calculate what that is for each head. So, uh, you know, if you had a two blade, two inch cutting head, 
and you multiply two times one, it's equals two, right? So you have a, a two inch total cutting potential score. If you have a three blade with a 1.375 inch cut, which is very common, um, if you have a head like that, you take three times the uh, radius, which is 0.6875, and that actually gives you a higher um, total cutting potential than the two inch cut because you actually have three blades that are doing the cutting from the center of the head out to the tip of that particular head. Now it doesn't take into account blade length because when it really comes down to it, you know, uh, you know, if you look at that head coming at you, um, you know, the blade length isn't going to change, you know, how far out into the body that, you know, you, you, you cut. So we don't take that into the, into account and we call it potential because, you know, that's what you're going to get if all goes well and you don't lose any of the blades or, you know, it's, you know, something gets, you know, bent or knocked off or changed or whatever. So it's called total cutting potential. And really that's just giving you, you know, the max of what that head can, you know, will be able to cut. Um, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the diameter and taking into account the number of blades. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give you, I, I think it would be really cool. You know, I know you actually sit on the technical committee of the Archery Trade Association. You should, uh, just for a, a good laugh, I'm sure it would go over like a lead balloon at your meeting, but why don't you throw out there next January when you guys meet that rather than cutting diameter, all broadhead manufacturers should should be required to list the uh, Peterson's bow hunting total cutting potential on their marketing and packaging so that people could easily uh, compare that from head to head rather than just the, the uh, diameter, which is what everybody uses. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put that out there in your name. No yeah, per, yeah, just, yeah, just throw me under the bus. But so seriously, I mean, that's the value, right? If you look at the chart here. Um, let's say you're looking at a Rage, okay? Very popular head. The Rage Tripan TI, it's a two-blade head, and you calculated a total cutting potential on that of 1.977 inches. So, you know, basically two inches. But then, yes. you know, how do I then compare that to a three-blade head that you know, doesn't have a two inch cutting diameter, right? So let's just jump over, like, look at the wasp, the wasp jackhammer. It's a three blade um, head. It's got an advertised cutting diameter of one and three quarter inches. So it's a quarter inch less than what Rage is advertising it as uh, the two inch. And yet your total cutting potential that you've calculated is 2.676 inches. So it's basically... Uh, two-thirds of an inch greater cutting potential than the rage. So that's what I like about total cutting potential and the way you calculate that and we pre present that here is it's an easy way to look at heads, whether they have two blades, three blades, four blades, 12 blades, whatever. You can compare really quickly, like what's the total surface area of cutting that this offers. Uh, and like you said, theoretically, if all those blades deploy the way that they ought to and none of them break on their way through the animal, you're going to get that much more cutting with head B, you know, than you do with head A. 
Right. And, and you know, there's a, there's a little bit of give and take, like you said before, right? So if I have just two blades and they are, you know, you know, out there like wings, um, they're, you know, they're way out there. Well, then, you know, you could argue, well, then I'm going to reach further out. I might catch a, you know, a vein that I wouldn't have caught, you know, with a one and a quarter inch head or something like that. Well, the same can be said of a three blade head. What if you're going in beside a vein and then you have that third blade that's sticking out, you know, the other way and you catch the vein because of that. So really, you know, I mean, it, it does come down to, you know, just, um, you know, uh, good placement, first of all, you know, I always tell people that no matter what you do and what you decide on these heads, um, the most important thing is to be proficient at shooting them because nothing um, will take the place of good placement, uh, shot placement. But um, I would say that, uh, you know, cut, total cutting potential just gives you a good idea of how much cut is going to happen in that animal. And, you know, if, uh, uh, Something that you would want to think about is if you have a whole bunch of cut, then you're probably going to have a little bit less penetration, like we had talked about earlier. And then things could got to come into play too, like uh, for instance, you know, if you're um, if you're shooting, you know, uh, um, a, a a tiny deer from you know one of the states that have the smaller deer, and you're shooting. 75 pounds and your kinetic energy is off the charts, then, you know, you can screw on any of these heads and you're obviously going to blow right through anything that you shoot, any of these little, little animals or whatever. Whenever you got to start thinking about penetration is, you know, maybe your kids, you know, shoot less, right? A little less weight, or maybe you're shooting a moose or, or whatever. And then you got to start thinking about, you know, up in your kinetic energy and what you can punch through. And so all these things need to be taken into consideration as you're looking at your application. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about our test is that's where it gets into the individual considerations and some of the subjectivity of what your personal opinion as a bow hunter might be relative to, you know, your bow setup or the hunt that you have coming up that you're getting ready for. And so I think it's really important. We haven't said this yet, but we don't, there's two things that we don't do in this test, okay? Okay, is one, we don't declare winners and losers, okay? Because when you look at the data, you'll see that there are some heads that perform well in some areas and not as well in others. And again, some of that is just a function of a broadhead's design. And it doesn't mean that one is good and one is bad. What you'll actually see in a lot of cases is a broadhead, you know, that performs well in certain areas and not as well in other areas, it actually makes a lot of sense because, again, it's just part of the trade-off. It's no different than do I want to shoot a really heavy arrow or a really light arrow, right? That light arrow is going to give me a lot more speed, a much flatter trajectory, but it's not going to maintain as much kinetic energy downrange, which may result in less penetration on an animal. The heavy arrow is going to have a much more looping trajectory. Uh, it's going to require me to be much more careful about making sure that I'm avoiding obstacles uh, in between myself and my target. But as an added benefit, it's going to be a lot quieter coming out of my bow, and it's also going to maintain energy. Is one? Does that mean you know which one of those arrows is better, John? I don't know. That's ultimately up for you to decide. So that's what we do with the test: is we. 
generate this data and give it to the bow hunting public and we don't give any opinion with it. We just give you the data and then it's up to you to decide what makes the most sense for you, your setup, your application, what you want to do in the field and, and, and use this as a tool to ultimately make your selection. Right. And, 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 you know, Kirsten, I gotta, I gotta say this too. When you're, when you're out there looking at, uh, you know, this, this test, you, you really gotta, to, to give some consideration to the, how extensive the test is, the equipment that we use to do the test and, you know, just the, uh, uh, you know, the, the objectivity of the test. I mean, all those things, you know, we, we video some of it, you know, obviously object, objective. Um, and we use, you know, like you mentioned, Catra over in the UK to do sharpness testing. Um, we use the Velocitive to do drag and retained energy. And, you know, we, we have our um, X-ring machine. You know, we're shooting this thing off of, you know, it's it's basically... Um, without having, you know, the, the resources of, you know, like, you know, a couple of the top bow companies, you know, we actually have one of the most advanced shooting systems um, that I'm aware of, uh, you know, in the X-Ring machine. We, we took that, you know, which is, a, you know, an electric, uh, you know, piece of equipment that weighs 300 pounds and, you know, runs, you know, on, on glass linear slide and i mean it's just like top notch right and then we coupled that with uh some software that uh uh you know my my brother-in-law and my son both computer guys you know developed um over many many hours so you know thanks to steve dunlap and tyler silks for doing that i mean that that just puts us in a realm that i don't think anybody can really uh, you know obtain uh, you know, unless, you know, unless you are one of the, you know, top notch, uh, um, you know, bow companies out there that have been around and have, you know, have the resources. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you, I guess at the end of the day, I would say, you know, you can say, well, I don't like your test. You know, I, I don't like how you did it or whatever, but you can't really argue with the data because the data is, is absolutely uh, rock solid. And the other thing, I, so I said, you know, we don't, we don't give opinion in, in this. And then the other thing I was going to say, cause I said, there's two things we don't do. We don't tell you what to shoot. We don't tell you what head you ought to use. Again, that's ultimately up for you to decide. And so you know, let's go to sharpness though. Uh, cause I, I do want to look at that. And again, it's, it's important to provide some perspective. So, okay. The sharpness test. So of the 13 or 14, what do we have this year? 14, John? I think we did. Uh, One, two, yeah, three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, we had 14 heads yep. in this year's test. So of the 14 mechanical heads that we tested, the very sharpest of all was the Wacom Steel EXP, followed by the NAP Killzone Swing Fire and the Rage Tripan TI coming in as the top three. And uh, for those of you who get your hands on the test, you'll see for a lot of these tests too, we, we 
uh, included a chart with the top 10 performers. So again, our purpose in this uh, it, it was not to call anybody out for poor, poor performance. You can simply figure out for yourselves, okay, if there are four that aren't listed, uh, those were the people that came in towards the bottom uh, of those particular categories. But even if we look at the top 10 here, um, you've got Wacom that comes in at a 0.81. And at number 10, you've got the Slick Trick Raptor Trick at 1.76. So about twice the value there. Does that mean, I mean, we, we you need to give some explanation on this. Does that mean that the Slick Trick is twice as dull as the Wacom? And does that mean that you can't kill an animal with the Slick Trick? Explain these numbers to me, John. What am I looking at? Yeah, anything, you know, I mean, if any of these numbers that you're looking at in the top 10 and quite frankly, the top 14 are all, um, you know, killers, right? They're all going to kill, uh, you know, when you get down, you know, Oh, Oh eight or 0.8, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're getting close to, you know, that of a, a razor blade, um, you know, which is obviously you, you can barely touch it without, you know, cutting yourself open, you know, a really good knife is, you know, right in there, you know, um, 1.5 to 2.5, you know, things like that. So any of these honestly are, are extremely sharp. Some of them are just that, you know, that much sharper now. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, if, if we get up into the, you know, the eights, nines and tens, then, then you, you know, you gotta be, um, uh, you start to get a little concerned about, uh, you know, the ability to actually sever, uh, you know, the, the, the flesh, but that doesn't really happen. And if it ever does happen, hang on, John, um, you're, you're, you're talking about an actual value of eight, nine or 10. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah, and, and so, so we need to usually that just means that the, the head was damaged. Right. Got, got I mean, okay. nobody's making nobody's making heads like that. Right, um, right. But know, we need to explain. And, 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 we need to explain what these numbers are. So, so these what these numbers represent are the amount of force that is required to push these blades through a piece of rubber test medium. So, Catra has a machine that you take the blade from the broadhead and you vice the blade into a little. Uh, holder, and then the machine pushes that blade forward into a piece of rubber, and there's a gauge on the machine that measures the amount of force that has to be applied until that rubber is severed, and that's in newtons. So these actual numbers that you see here in our chart is the amount of force in newtons that's required to cut the rubber test medium, and so the lower the number the less force required to cut the rubber, therefore the sharper the blade. So as these right. numbers rise, the sharpness decreases. And what you're saying is, in other words, if you look again, say eight, nine, and 10 on our chart, you know, Wasp Jack, Jackhammer at 1.53, Rocky Mountain Warhead SS at 1.73, and the Slick Trick Raptor Trick at 1.76, 
that is still very sharp because again, you're talking about a good knife being like one and a half to two. So you're talking about broadhead here that are as sharp as very sharp knives. Yes, they don't look, you know, as sharp as the very sharpest ones on the list by comparison. But when you're talking about, you'd have to get up to a value all the way up at eight, nine or 10 when, when to be considered like dull. And here we're talking about values of basically one and a half to one and three quarters. That's the kind of perspective that really kind and it demonstrates the fact that, like you said, there's not a broadhead on the list here that isn't more than sharp enough to cause some serious damage as it goes through, you know, your next trophy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Any of these heads um, are just going to, you know, they're going to do do the job. And, and like I said, you know, I mean, you know, the, you know, those that, that whack them, you know, it's just, it's just that much sharper. Right. And, and the, it's, it's going to obviously, uh, you know, penetrate that medium with less force, which you said, you know, the machine, it's very, you know, it's all mechanical. It's all, you know, basically you, you know, you, you, you set the thing up and, and it does the rest in a very controlled, um, you know, force as it pushes this, uh, this flexed rubber tube down on top of it. As soon as it penetrates, as soon as it, um, lets that, you know, sort of springs that rubber open, you know, that's the, that's the recording that you get. And, and, uh, you know, people do all kinds of tests, right? People do, oh, well, if it can shave the hair on your hand, you know, or if it can slice a piece of paper. Well, I can't, I can't measure that. I, you know, I don't have, I can't say that that's good or bad. Some people say, well, you know, if it'll cut a rubber band, well, what rubber band and how hard do you put pushing and, you know, all that. This is the only way I'm aware of that we can actually get good data on how sharp something is. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I love about it is we take it completely out of our hands and let the industry association, you know, that does this for manufacturers around the world, you know, conducts this test for us, actually. And we pay, you know, a pretty good amount of money for them to do this for us every year. And there's nowhere else you know, that you can turn that I'm aware of, John, for consumers, regular bow hunters to get a list of, you know, the 10 sharpest, you know, mechanical heads, you know, that are out there. Granted, we don't test every mechanical head in the world, but I mean, where else can you get a list like this? Right. Yeah. And a reliable list. Yeah. Let's jump over to, to hemorrhage test because this is another test, you know, where we'll get some of that criticism. Well, you know, I don't I don't shoot foam deer. You know, I hunt real deer. Same thing with the hemorrhage test. Right. It's like uh, it'd be great if we could figure out some way to get. 12 or 15 sets of of deer lungs and hook them up to a heart lung machine and 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 have a, like two gallons of blood that this machine would circulate through that set of lungs and then we could shoot a we could hang those lungs from a from some kind of a hook and that'd look really cool man we could see these lungs you know uh getting bigger and smaller as the as the oxygen and the blood you know pumped through there ah, that would be so cool that would be 
like the greatest test ever. And then we could shoot all these lungs and see how long it took for the two gallons of, of blood to like fall out of these lungs based on the different broadheads that we used. You think you could come up with that for next year, John? <laughs> yeah, I don't even think if I had, you know, Trump's budget, I could do that. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, again, we've got to, you know, everyone wants to know what kind of a blood trail, right? I mean, in marketing, you know, we're just ultimately, right? I mean, people say all kinds of things about all kinds of broadheads. You know, every manufacturer stakes their claim about their head on one or more attributes. And again, I'm not here. And John isn't here to say that those claims are are false. Um, we're just providing data that, again, you can use as a consumer to sort of help you make a selection. Um, so tell me about the hemorrhage test, right? People who are listening might not have any idea. What is the hemorrhage test? What are we trying to do? And then we can dig into some of those results. Okay. Well, the hemorrhage test, as you alluded to, is... Uh, done with basically a, um, a very thick plastic bag, and you know we fill that up with uh, uh, two gallons of liquid, and through fixturing um, we ensure uh, a couple things. One that the broadheads are hitting um, that bag at the exact same place every for every broadhead, and then number two is is that the line to which we time the uh, you know the the amount of time it takes to, to bleed that out um, is consistent as well. And, and uh, you know, we fixture it up and we shoot each one through and we time it. And, you know, quite frankly, um, I, you know, I tried to time it um, real time, but then I just do it um, with the video because I probably time each one of these about 30 times just to make sure that I've got the right numbers. Um, so I sit there and, you know, with the, um, stopwatch and, and, uh, you know, test each one of these or watch each one of these so many times, and then just make sure I've got a good number, um, uh, to present, but, you know, basically, um, you know, it's the amount of time that it takes to let that, uh, that liquid out of that bag down to a certain line. And, you know, you'd be surprised, um, you know, sometimes you think uh, ahead, well, you know, this one's obviously going to be good or, man, this one's going to take forever. And it really just depends on the type of hole that it puts in the bag. So if you have one of those little um, button heads, I call them, you know, the, you know, they're little three blade heads that are, are very small. Um, you know, they've got a steep angle and everything. Um, depending on how they cut, some of those can, can bleed those bags out super fast because they're basically punching a, you know, an entire hole into the bag. And, um, you know, and then some of the ones that you would think would just, you know, just bleed the bag out in, in seconds, you know, actually can go kind of slow at times. So it's really about, um, you know, how that head is designed and how it opens that bag out to let the, uh, you know, let the liquid out. Um, and so that's another one where I don't even, I don't even presume to guess, you know, how well a head's going to do and until I see the results because you just, uh, you don't know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this one was interesting because like you said, the, the number one uh, performer in the hemorrhage test this year was Kinetics Kinemax. It bled out 
all the, the two gallons of liquid in 2.54 seconds. And that kinetic Kinemax is a two blade head that only has a total cutting potential of 1.13 inches. So I would not have looked at the, I would have, for, for example, okay, coming in at number 10 was the Bloodsport Gravedigger Chisel Tip, which has a 2.78 inch cutting potential. It's a four blade head. It took 6.73 seconds. So, basically not quite three times as long. How do I make sense of that? Like I said, it's all about um, it's the cut and how it um, how it opens that bag up. And you can't just assume that, um, you know, uh, a great big head is going to um, not leave flats or whatever it is that keeps that in there, you know, um, uh, you know, versus a small head that might just literally blow a chunk out of it, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's just going to open up a, an entire hole where the water water comes out so now obviously you know we we have to acknowledge that a a plastic bag filled with red water is not exactly the same thing as a set of deer lungs so not not at all so how much of an analogy or weight you know and again i realize now i'm asking you for an opinion right because the data is the data and we've prevent presented that as a bow hunter how do you sort of factor in the hemorrhage test into broadhead selection personally well you know i mean one thing you got to look at is is the 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 hemorrhage test uh, isn't going to tell you how much cutting is done obviously because right there you get the kinetic kinemax uh bleeding that thing out a lot quicker than the uh you know the, like you said the blood sport which is a you know has a higher um you know, total cutting potential. So for me, it's a matter of a blood trail, right? I mean, it might have some correlation to a blood trail, but what I'm most concerned about is how much cutting, you know, am I going to put that animal on the ground um, quickly and, you know, be able to walk up to it? So unless I have a head that is, you know, for whatever reason goes in, you know, through the hide, cuts and then closes up before it goes through the hide again, you know, something crazy like that, um, and doesn't bleed much, you know, where it might make it hard to find the, the, the deer. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. As long as I'm getting a blood trail, um, you know, this is just going to tell me which, you know, which blood trail is going to be, you know, possibly easier to follow. But I still, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm all about, you know, making sure that it's, you know, about lethality. And so I would say that, um, you know, all these heads, you know, you know, you, you, you place these heads correctly and every one of them is going to put your deer down. And all these other things are just, you know, a matter of, you know, which, you know, particular facet that one head might do better than another. Gotcha, John. So let's let's then look uh, over to the to the penetration tests, okay? And the thing that I find most interesting about the penetration tests is the amount of variation that we have in some instances between the straight foam penetration and the combo penetration. Um, I'll give you a, a, you know an example, okay? In the combo penetration. So that's the one with the rubber-backed carpet 
the um, sheet metal, and then the foam. The Schwacker came in fourth out of the 14 heads. So a good result for the Schwacker penetrated five, five and a half inches basically into the combo target. Okay, that's at number four. At number three, we had the Blood Sport at 5.6 inches. Number two, G5 Dead Meat, 5.7. And a top penetration there is the Slick Trick raptor trick at 6.4 inches now i look over at the the straight foam penetration and i see i see the slick trick there was number one in combo number three in foam g5 was number one in foam number two in combo but then i look for the schwacker and i'm like schwacker didn't even make the top 10 in foam straight foam and yet it was number four in combo um Again, is there some perspective that you can provide for me, John, as to why why would a head perform so well in one type of penetration test and, and not even make the top 10 in another? Yeah, again, you know, it's all down to, you know, physics and some of the, you know, physics that we can't really explain. And, you know, when you look at this, uh, you know, it depends on how the head opens, uh, you know, how it um you know, how it's able to, you know, transmit its energy forward, right? So if a head um, hits and opens immediately, it's not, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's the, the act of opening is happening before it ever gets into the material. And so it's able to, you know, handle the carpet and the, the um, you know, the metal a little better than one that's actually opening it while it's going through those things and losing energy. Um, so, you know, and then versus, you know, foam where, you know, something that might open quicker because it's hitting the, the metal, um, you know, might open slower in the foam, which might make it slower or faster, you know, getting through the foam or, you know, you know, if it does open quicker, it might open slower. So really, you know, when you're looking at this, you just, you, you just look at the results and say, you know, who did what? And, and, you know, we can speculate as to why that is, but really for me, I just go to the results and say, what happened? You know, what results did I get? Well, it is interesting in terms of that schwacker because um, one of the things that Schwacker sort of advertises is how, you know how the Schwacker has those little wing blades that are, uh, when it's closed, okay, it's got a relatively small profile. And they say that uh, when you hit the animal, right, it, it penetrates through the hide and into the body cavity with those wing blades, and then those wing blades cause enough resistance once it's inside the body cavity to then open up the main blades, which are your two-inch cutting diameter, basically. And then you get that full two-inch slice through the body cavity and as an exit wound. And if I look at these, and again, I'm not saying yay or nay, but if I look at these results of these two penetration tests, that's what that's what this is telling me. It's telling me maybe that that, that they're right, and that's how that, that particular head works, because on the straight foam, that might cause the 
those blades, those main blades might deploy right away. And so that's why you're not getting as good of a penetration. Whereas with the combo, maybe you're punching through that carpet and sheet metal with just the wing blades, which is going to reduce friction for that first portion of the, of the penetration. And then by the time those wing blades open up on the other side, the main blades deploy, you know, it, it's not having as big of an impact. It's just, again, it's just something that I'm observing and, and finding interesting i can't say definitively that that's the case but it 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 kind of looks that way to me yeah i would say that um you know one of the i don't really look at a lot of the advertising for these things and i know there's one that says it opens so loud you can actually hear so fast that you can hear the i thought it was like a the swack or something or the whack or whatever i don't know which would um, mean that you know they're they're intended to open very quickly and cut on impact, um, you know, already be open. But again, you know, I, I just um, I purposely don't like look at all the advertising and things like that because when I look at these heads, I just go by you know what it is that's in front of me, and you know, and, and a result is a result uh, regardless of. You know what anybody says or how you know how it's supposed to work or any of that kind of stuff and to me it's just you know what what actually happens you know what what am i seeing in my results let's jump over to uh the two tests that are probably the most uh interesting for me every year because i like watching the videos and and i definitely recommend that you know you get on our website and watch some of these videos and that's the hard impact test and then the zero penetration test and the hard impact test is basically where you've created a fixture that you can slide a piece of sheet metal into and you shoot each one of these heads through the sheet metal we've got high speed video equipment set up so we're capturing a slow motion video of every single one of these heads as it comes through the sheet metal and we can watch for uh integrity of the broadhead, deployment of the blades, and actually observe any kind of damage, malfunction, proper function, etc. as it happens, uh, and then play that back over and over again and really see these heads uh, and the way that they perform when they encounter a hard material. So uh, talk to me about the hard impact test, John. And uh, to me, that's one of the most important tests that we do as part of this whole package because I don't personally want to mess around with a head if it doesn't stay together uh, when it goes through sheet metal. Yeah, and that's um, you know, that ties back to total cutting potential, right? So, you know, we talk about you know how big these heads are, you know how wide they open, how many blades they have, how much cutting they do, and it all you know really does come back to potential because you could have a three blade head with a six inch cutting diameter, but if none of your blades make it through, then who cares, right? So that's why we call it potential, and that's why we do this test. And so you know this is a you know, this is a test that basically lays it all out there. You know, what's going to happen if your head hits something solid? You know, is it going to, is it going to survive? Is it going to, uh, you know, make it through and be able to progress through the body cavity and still have cutting potential? And that's what this test is all about. And like you said, the video is there. You can see what's happening, you know, and, um, you know, some of these tests, you know, you get, uh, 
you know, in years past, and, and I don't think we had it this year, but in years past, we've had um, uh, a couple manufacturers where, you know, you would shoot the uh, the broadhead through the, the metal, and the only thing that would come through would be the point, and the blades would be completely gone. Um, other times, you know, you mentioned some of these heads have, like, you know, little wing tips or things like that that are used, you know, to open the blade. And occasionally, you know, you'll get them where they come off, but it doesn't really matter. They don't have a sharpened head on or edge on them. Uh, so this test is, you know, very visual. It's very, um, it's very telling. And it tells you, you know, will my head survive, uh, you know, through a hard impact and come out the other end and still be cutting. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's it. That's what it tells you. That's what it shows you. And, um, you know, I agree with you. It is very important. Yeah. And uh, so we've got a chart uh, that goes with this test as well as some videos that show some of these heads doing their thing. Uh, Basically, uh, what I can tell you in a quick summary here, right, the chart, first of all, you know, does does the head fully penetrate? So I can tell you that all 14 of the heads, you know, that we shot into the metal, you know, completely penetrated through to the other side. Then we also tell you if a head had broken blades, bent blades, uh, or whether the blade edges were marred, whether there were missing blades, whether the tip was dulled, whether the ferrule was damaged. And so you can look for each one of the 14 heads in this year's test, and you can go right across and you can see for yourself, uh, you know, which ones, you know, came through that thing with broken blades or missing blades or damaged ferrules. And again, I'm not going to get into it all right now. Uh, you can hop on the website, you can dig up uh, your copy of the magazine and, and see that for yourself. But it, I will say this, you know, I, I find it hard to believe, John, that there'd be a bow hunter out there who wants to go out of his or her way to choose a head that uh, couldn't go through a piece of sheet metal without keeping all of its blades intact. I'll leave it at that. Well, well and then again, you know, some of the time, you know, if you have a three blade head and, you know, it, it um, you know, one of the blades, you know, snaps off or, you know, snaps in half or whatever, you know, your head still has cutting potential, just has a little less, right? Um, but then, you know, there might be a head that, that, that blew off all the blades and, and um, but we don't, you know, we just say if there's any missing blades, we don't say if they are all missing or, or whatever, but you can watch the video and you'll find out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've all killed animals, too. I mean, I've had, you know, plenty of broadheads that I recovered, uh, you know, from from the inside of animals that had some bent blades on them, uh, which isn't the end of the world. Like you said, as long as they don't fall off completely, you know, I mean, if a blade, if a blade stays intact and it gets bent a little bit or, or whatever, it's probably doing some pretty good damage as it's ripping past or through whatever bent that blade. Um, but uh, yeah, you don't want to lose them. And, uh, you know, some of them, some of them are just tougher than others. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and then the other, the other test that we do, and, you know, we kind of say this is for entertainment purposes and it, it, it kind of is, but at the same time, it seems like every year there are a couple of heads that do pretty well in this test. And it does impress me. And that's our zero penetration test. And that's just a fancy word that we have for, we basically shoot every single broadhead right into the 
uh, face of a, a giant slab of rock. John calls it a field stone. I think it's like a piece of granite out of a farmer's field somewhere. And we shoot we shoot every single broadhead straight into this rock at, what, 20 yards? And then we record these things with high-speed video. And as you might expect, the damage is pretty high on the carnage scale. But uh, like I said, there's always a couple heads that do fairly well. And I'm like, dang, that is a tough son of a gun. I mean, uh, how do you see this test, John? And is it is it just for fun or does it really have value? I'd say it's probably, uh, you know, 80% or better fun. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it definitely is, you know, has some entertainment to it with all the sparks flying and things like that. But whenever, you know, if you, if you, you know, blow a head apart, you know, doing that, then, you know, I would, I would never say, Oh, you, you wouldn't want to use that head. What, what always gets me is the opposite is whenever you, you know, shoot a head into, you know, this field stone and it comes away looking, you know, fairly intact. That just amazes me, which means that that thing is built like a bunker, you know, and it's, um, you know, just, uh, it's going to withstand just about anything you could possibly throw at it. So that's, that's, I don't look at the negative, uh, you know, of, of this at all. I only look at the ones that are just, you know, just to impress the heck out of me whenever they're able to, you know, stay together in spite of being slammed into something that gives not an inch, you know, so. Yeah, and just, uh, again, it's a lot of fun to watch these videos. And, you know, I say, unfortunately, uh, for the, maybe for the manufacturers, the ones that are the most fun are the ones where there isn't a whole lot left. And it, it is, there's some of these that literally, uh, you know, that broadhead hits the rock. And I mean, shrapnel would be too, too kind of a word. I mean, it's like smithereens dust, you know, literally vaporization upon impact, which, you know, like you said, you, you would expect in a lot of cases, although it is interesting, but on the, on the other side, you know, I will call out, say the top five here, uh, in this year's test that were, you know, notably durable, relatively speaking. And those would be, uh, the rage tripan TI, uh, the true glow backflip, uh, blood sports, grave digger, chisel tip, uh, muzzies, HBTI and the Ramcat savage. So like you said, it's not that any of us go out, uh, any time, you know, intending to shoot into a rock, but it is kind of cool to know that if you happen to be shooting a broadhead that you know has been shot full speed right into a, a rock and come out on the other side, uh, you know, looking at least somewhat like still a broadhead, uh, that, you know, that, that would give me a little bit more confidence in that head, John, that it could take a beat and, and, and uh, keep on uh, performing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, just to kind of head towards the end of our conversation about the 2018 broadhead test would be last two things that we haven't discussed are drag and retained energy and then our field point comparison test, which is basically a measure of accuracy. And, you know, I think, of course, 
mechanical heads, John, have gotten so popular because they do fly, you know, more similarly to field points than fixed blade heads, obviously, because the less exposed surface area you have, the less, you know, wind planing, uh, wind resistance you're going to have in flight. Uh, when I look at the drag and retained energy data and the results of your field point comparison test for all of these heads, I am going to say as a group, they are all extremely aerodynamic and extremely accurate. Um, and I will let you sort of put some meat on those bones. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when you, when you're looking at, um, you know, the drag and retained energy, you're talking about, you know, all about flight dynamics and, and, uh, you know, of course, your field point is looking to have the best of both those worlds, right? It's, um, you know, it is basically just a pointed end of your arrow. Um, you know, any kind of uh, um, drag is going to be almost, you know, non-existent, and, uh, you know, it's going to retain everything because there's nothing to hold it back. Now, of course, we use, we, we actually use the same arrow, not just the same kind of arrow that it's flexed the same way. We actually use the same arrow to test this. So that any drag, um, you know, and put on the arrow is, is uh, you know, without even considering the broadheads, you know, that's always going to be the same. That's the way that we're able to, you know, you know, call out the, the drag and retained energy of the heads themselves. Because every time the rest of, you know, the consideration is the same. So, you know, this is, this is all about how well it flies through the air. You know, is it going to, you know, be, uh, you know, impacting the flight um, less or more? And, and, you know, you want the head to impact the flight less. And, you know, you want those, you want those veins to be back there, you know, doing all the steering and, um, you know, giving that, uh, you know, that effect that, you know, keeps it straight and, and uh, you know, makes it, makes your shooting accurate. So you want the, you know, the closer you get to um, more retained energy and less drag, the better. And that's what this chart's showing you, how each one of these heads performed in that respect. Um, yeah, and also, but I mean, just to give, there wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of variation. You know, you're looking yeah. at retained energy anywhere from 82% at the low, no, actually, I got one at uh, 80, about 81% at the low end to maybe 86% at the high end. So you're looking at a 5% variation across all 14 heads. I don't really right. know how much that is going to make a difference at 30 yard shot on game, you know? Yeah, not really. It's not going to make much of a difference at all. And really, you know what, Christian, whenever you, you know, whenever you look across the page, then, you know, in the test and you look at our accuracy at 25 yards, nobody can claim that, you know, this broadhead or that broadhead doesn't shoot well, because we've proven that if you are machine-like and, you know, if you, if you're, if you are a good shooter, you're going to be able to tune these heads and very close to your field point. I mean, we don't have anything that's hardly outside of a half inch in any direction. 
which is amazing. Basically, whenever we do this test, we got have to change the, the target face so many times because we are hitting the same hole. I mean, if you think about the, the diameter of the heads, um, you know, or even just the arrow, it, it, you know, if you put an arrow diameter in there, you're basically hitting the same spot almost every time. Yeah, so it is pretty amazing. There's literally, there's nothing more than, you know, a half inch outside a center. You know, your very worst head, if you want to call it that, is about a half inch low and a half inch, not even a half inch to the left. You know, there's a couple others that are right about you know, dead on elevation wise that are maybe a half an inch left or right. And again, who cares when you're bow hunting, you know? Yeah. Honestly, you know, the the magazine had to, I mean, you guys had to spread. Yeah, we had to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had to increase the scale, you know, from a, it's like at least double that half inch is at least an inch on the page here because otherwise all these little symbols for the various heads would be on top of each other. That begs the question, you know, I did hear from some people and I'm going to actually throw it out as a suggestion for next year uh, or for two years for sure. I don't know if the the fixed blade heads will probably tend to vary a little bit more, but the next time that we test um, mechanical heads, you know, is there any thought of possibly testing at like 40 or 45 yards rather than 25 yards? Uh, Is that doable or uh what do you think yeah i mean we've actually done you know some at um you know 50 yards when we uh, you know when we're doing the um the testing for uh the velocity testing for the drag and everything uh you'd be surprised we have to change that target head almost every shot too because we're still hitting the same point you know we're hitting the same spot almost every time at 50 yards so i mean we can do that um and uh you know it'll It'll spread them out a little bit, and uh, you know. But quite honestly, even with fixed heads, um, you're you're going to be in that same basic, you know, small area every time. Um, the bottom line is is that uh, you know these these heads are you know we've had now in the past I can tell you we've had um, several heads over the years that will you know everything will hit here and then you'll have a head hit like three or four inches, or even we had one that was like six inches consistent as all get out, but it was six inches away, you know? So, but anymore, most of these heads that we test are going to be right there and we can, we can extend that range, um, you know, until they start to spread out more, you know, if we want to do that, that's fine. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's all the, all the same to us. You know, we, you know, we do the shooting and we, you know, we aim the, the machine the same way with the laser every time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. And, um, it's just, there. it's amazing to me, you know, you know, even myself and, and I'm sure, you know, lots of the readers, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not uh, uh, shooting like Levi Morgan or even anywhere close. And um, I, but it helps me to know that if I don't see things right, then I know that I'm either torquing my bow, you know, my tune's not exactly right or whatever. I know I can be better, and I know I can I can make my setup better, and I can make myself better because I know what the potential is based on my tests. 
Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that, John, because I was just talking to Levi the other day, and he was giving you a lot of the credit for his 12th Shooter of the Year title. So don't sell yourself yeah. short, my friend. Yeah, he, you know, he, he you know, probably doesn't want me to join up, you know, because I threaten him. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows better. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bow hunter, and I'm you know I can I can uh, get the job done bow hunting. But it truly amazes me what he and those other guys are able to accomplish. It's just they are like machines. It's amazing. Yeah, but I haven't seen him challenge you to an engineering contest, so you got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably he probably does that too. <laughs> All right, uh, so in conclusion, you know, I'm going to say this, and then I and then I got the big question for you. You know, when I look at the test every year and all the results that we have, you know, what I kind of realize is there is no perfect broadhead, and. What I mean by that is there's never been a head that I can really recall that was like top of the class in every single category across the board. Again, like everything in archery, there are, you have to make trade-offs. And so if you want to shoot, shoot the sharpest broadhead, that might not be the head that penetrated the best, or it might not be the, te- the head that you know won the hemorrhage test, or it might not be the head that had the most cutting potential. So at the end of the day, John, and this really is the million-dollar question, is what is the overall value of the test to you and me and and all of our listeners as bow hunters and then how do you use it to make your decision and then i guess the real million dollar question is you know are you shooting one of these heads this year that was in this year's test and 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 you know why right right yeah so you know, overall value, I think if you carefully look at the results and, you know, some people uh, shoot the same head, you know, or same model or manufacturer, I should say, every year. And this might be a way for you to say, you know, do I stick with the model I've been using or do I, you know, try this model? Um, you know, it, you know, there might be some warning signs or you might see things and you say, wow, that, you know, that did so well. I'm going to go ahead and try this new head or, you know, um, uh, you, you know, basically, if you have certain applications for you, for your your family, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, of course, uh, if there's restrictions, um, you know, on the heads that you're using, you know, based on, you know, game laws and things like that. So, you know, all those things taken into account, I think if you come in here and you look at this, you could probably, uh, you know, increase uh, your likelihood of um, being successful, uh, in picking the right head, a head that won't leave you down, and uh, you know, a head that uh, you know maybe just has a little bit of an edge here and there. And of course, you know, as archers and hunters, we're always looking for that you know that slight edge. And um, you know, and, and uh, I think that you can maximize you know what you're shooting, uh, you know, by going over this. Now, for me, every year I look at this, and like I told you. Um, it's, it's, I really don't even know until the test is complete and I have everything in charts and Excel spreadsheets, et cetera, et cetera. And then I start to actually break them down into, you know, where they rank and things like that, that I, I start to get a real good feel for, you know, what's what now, you know, we've had, you know, years past ahead or two that you could either say, wow, that's, that's definitely one of the top or, or that one is not going to do well, but in general, um, they all stick, you know, close enough. And there's always that 
whole thing of you know which had which had stayed at the top, you know, overall, you know, like did it stay in the top five, no matter what the test was. And, you know, um, I used to, you know, do a test on those that was based on things like that. And, and, you know, you get uh, the quote unquote winner based on a head that maybe never placed number one in any of the things, but was always, you know, two through five and everything. And so I look for a well-balanced head, a head that, um, you know, is, is durable, that has decent sharpness. Like I told you, you know, any of those sharpnesses are good, you know, so I make sure that it's got, you know, doesn't have any warning signs in the sharpness area, has good cutting potential, you know, hits the, you know, does well in the penetration test. So I just try to look for something really, that's my, that's my goal. Whenever I review these, I'm looking for the head that's, that's overall, just has good marks in general with nothing that falls off the bottom. And, and if it doesn't ever reach number one, I don't care as long as it's just doing well and it does well across the board. So where does that leave you? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm pressing you, Silks. Come on. No, people not, people, people want to give up my... You're not, I, I don't, you're not. I'm not giving up which one I'm using. You're not. Nope, I'm not going to, you know, because I don't want to influence people that way. I want them to look at the results for themselves. Yeah, but people might be, I mean, you're not sponsored by any of these people, are you? Nope, exactly. And, that's, and, I, and I don't um, I, I don't ever want to be, uh, you know, tell people to hit me up on Facebook and then I'll tell them. Okay. So they can find, where can, where can they find you on Facebook? <laughs> Just look up my name, John Silks. Okay, I mean, I, I'll tell you some of the ones that I'm I'm looking forward to shooting this year. You know, and and you All know, right. again, you know, John and I, you know, as as uh, you know, John's a field editor. I'm an editor here at the magazine. Obviously, we have advertisers who buy advertising in the magazine but uh as far as sponsorship you know neither john nor i we don't have any sponsorships whether it's from you know bone manufacturers broadheads you name it you know nobody is writing a check uh directly to to john or i to to use anything so um you know we we are uh you know, fortunate to have a lot of information at our fingertips. And, uh, you know, we, we try to put together the best equipment we can. I, I can say that, you know, if you look at these results, and again, I'm not giving away any secrets here, John, because like you said, uh, everything here is in is in black and white and, and other colors too, <laughs> right here on the, on the pages. So I agree with you, you know, to look for things that perform generally well across the board. Um, I've had a lot of success over the years with Rage Broadheads, and I, and I continue to do so. I can tell you for sure that I will do at least a couple hunts this fall with uh, probably with the, the Rage Tripan. Um, seem, seems to be a head that performed uh, fairly well uh, across the board. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I've got enough confidence uh, in it to continue to use it. Um, the new Sever Broadhead um, seemed like it really did well. I haven't had a chance to actually use that uh, other than just some practice in my backyard. But I am curious to see, especially because that's a brand new product uh, just out this summer, uh, to maybe shoot 
that sever uh, on a hunt uh, this year as well. That seemed like, you know, I'm looking just uh, where it fell. You know, it was in the top 10 in, in hemorrhage test. It was in the top 10 in sharpness. Um, I see it. Uh, showing up here uh, in the top 10 uh, on the combo penetration. Um, I saw that it did really well, you know, in, in the drag and retained energy. So that's just one that kind of jumps out at me. Um, other ones that, that I may, you know, get a chance to use the G5 dead meat. You and I know from talking, I had a good experience with that head last year in Kansas. Um, again, I look at that. Top 10 in sharpness, uh, top 10 in hemorrhage, um, top 10 in both penetration tests. You know, that's a head that I would for sure probably keep using this year. So I'm not I'm not obviously a loyalist to one particular brand. Uh, when you have a job like mine, I think it's important that, you know, that I keep an open mind and that I try a variety of different products and, uh, you know, that I give an honest evaluation of, of how they make out. So, uh, again, I'm not I'm not telling anybody what they ought to use. Those are just a few of the ones that I think I'll probably uh, be shooting this fall. And, and I know that, uh, you know, if I didn't mention some of these other ones, it's not because I don't think they're good heads and, and I may, you know, well end up using some of these, uh, you know, like the true glow. I've never shot that backflip. I did try some of their fixed blade heads when they came out last year and they performed really well. So, you know, that's what, that's a head, you know, that I probably wouldn't hesitate to use. Um, I've used uh, some of the Wacom's before, some of the Wasps, a lot of good choices here, John, uh, on the, on the list for sure. And so I understand, you know, I sort of understand your reluctance to say, because you feel like if you say one, right, you're like, you're dissing somebody else and they're going to think that you're, you're saying that their baby is ugly, but that's not it at all. Yeah, well, that's true. And honestly, I'll probably shoot, um, you know, three or four, you know, big game animals this year. And there's a good chance that none of them will be shot with the same head. Yeah. And that's, you know, and you're a giving guy like me that way. You know, we want to go out and just shoot as many animals as we can for the greater good of bow hunters everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, listen, man, we went we went almost an hour and a half, but that's Holy not smokes. that's not hard to imagine when you think about how many hundreds of hours you spend on this test every year to even kind of get somewhat in depth on the results in an hour and a half isn't isn't really uh, a mystery to me anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, when people check out the, the test, uh, you know, uh, in the magazine, just you know, make sure you take a look at those people that we gave you know special thanks to. There's people that help us get this test done, and and um, I always want to just definitely say that I appreciate their their support. So. Yeah, absolutely. It takes uh, takes a, a really good group of dedicated people to produce this kind of data. So we hope that you all appreciate it, John. I wish you the best of luck this fall. Um, wish Thank all. You. 
all the uh, all the listeners the best of luck as well. And if you have, we look up John on Facebook. Of course, you can look up Peterson's Bow Hunting if you don't like our page already. Uh, be sure to do that. And if you guys have suggestions, of course, 2019 will be fixed blade heads again. But if you have suggestions on particular models that you want to see included, by all means, you know, hit us up uh, on the Peterson's Bow Hunting page. You can hit John up. You can email us at bowhunting at outdoorsg.com and uh, we always love to hear from you guys because at the end of the day uh, we work for you and we want to bring you guys uh, the best data we can and we want to cover the products that you want to see covered so John thanks again and uh, please please uh, keep in touch throughout the season will do thank you it's my pleasure thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.